Also, don't forget that on Sunday we have uh, our study in 2 Corinthians that we've been doing. We'll be in chapter 9. We've covered the first eight chapters of 2 Corinthians. It is really a great, great study, a wonderful study, and uh, I've really enjoyed going through it. So chapter 9 this Sunday, grab somebody, bring them out to Calvary Chapel as we go through the scriptures in 2 Corinthians on Sunday morning. Also, I want to remind you of a couple things. we got Vacation Bible School coming up quickly on us 11th through the 15th of june and so pre-register your children for vacation bible school there are some extra registration um, forms that you can grab and take with you if you got others that want to register and you can bring them back to us or you can have people come we'll be here uh, during the week there's usually somebody here especially during the the hours of about eight o'clock to three o'clock in the afternoon and uh, also there is some extra flyers so parents Take those extra flyers and um, pass them out to um, you know, the kids before they leave school here next week. Uh, they might want to give that to one of their friends or um, other family members or some of the kids in the neighborhood. So those are available at the uh, Vacation Bible School uh, desk there, uh, table. And again, pre-register your children. And um, there is also those of you who are bringing uh, things for snacks, you can drop them off at that table. So everything is there in your bulletin. There are other things that are coming up, um, and take a look at your bulletin. Uh, but we want to get into our study here tonight as Father. We're again thankful for uh, this time in the study of your word once again, a, a wonderful time of worship. Uh, we just rejoice in what you're doing in our church and um, in the lives of so many people. And Father, we want to walk in your wisdom. So, Lord, tonight may we learn about uh, what pleases you and, again, how we can apply it in our lives. Help us be attentive. I pray that we remember just to turn off our cell phones and uh, we want to be attentive for the next few moments as we cover these chapters. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so as we've looked at First Kings so far, we know that it starts out with David coming to the end of his life. He's 70 years old. He had reigned in Israel as king for 40 years, and he has brought the nation into great peace and great prosperity as well. And Solomon's gonna really benefit from that because we know that Solomon, during his 40 years of reigning as king, that the nation would experience its greatest peace and its greatest prosperity. So Solomon has been established firmly as the king of Israel, and we know that Solomon is um, fairly young. He has not gone through uh, the trials and the test of time that David did before he became king. Because you recall that when Samuel the prophet came and anointed David as king there in Bethlehem, that David went through many years of, of, of difficulty and tribulation, and, um, and God would use that to, to help David become a great king and a great warrior and, and uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So Solomon here is young. He's on the throne. It's, it's a prosperous nation. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. And meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And so Solomon ends up marrying the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, Marriage to fellow royalty was common practice in ancient times, and it, it was part of the peace treaty as they signed this treaty here. And customarily what would happen is um, if you were a powerful king, then 
you would end up marrying the other nation's you know, uh, royalty or uh, the, the other nation's king's daughter. And the more powerful you were, the more wives that you had. So that was part of the practice here that was taking place. But we're going to talk a little bit more about the problem that it would bring to Solomon. Now, this was not Solomon's first marriage. We know, as you do a little bit of digging here in the scriptures, that 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21 tells us that his son Rehoboam came to the throne after the death of Solomon when Rehoboam was 41 years old. We know from 1 Kings chapter 11 that it tells us that Solomon reigned for 40 years. So Rehoboam, he was uh, born to his mother, uh, Nehemiah, uh, Ammonitis is, is what she was. And so Solomon was married to her before he came to the throne and before he married the daughter of Pharaoh. And Solomon, we know that he had 700 wives eventually and 300 concubines. But we look at his life and Solomon's multiple marriages uh, and many of those marriages to foreign women would cause a great disaster in his life and really bring disaster upon the nation later on. We know 500 years later, Nehemiah would use Solomon as an example uh, as one who sinned against the Lord by taking on these foreign wives. And Nehemiah at that time, after the captivity, you see here is Solomon, he's reigning. It's about 970 BC. It would be in 605 BC that the house of Judah would go off into captivity. And then it would be later on in 536 BC that they would come back from that captivity. They would begin to build the second temple because Solomon's temple that we're going to read about here in 1 Kings is going to be destroyed in 586 BC. And so after that 70 years of captivity by the Babylonians, they begin to come and trickle back into the land. They first build a temple and then in 445 BC, Nehemiah, according to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, was given the permission to go back and rebuild the walls and uh, around Jerusalem and rebuild the streets. So that's what Nehemiah did. And as he went back, uh, he would do that. And also he would rebuke the people because they were taking foreign wives again. And I want to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 13. You can listen, but he would say that um, as he writes there in the book of Nehemiah, so I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, as, as Nehemiah is telling the people and rebuking them, pagan women caused him even to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil and transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? So he used Solomon, Nehemiah did, um, as an example, a bad example of what happened to the nation when they be he began to marry these foreign wives. And what we will see, particularly when we get to chapter 11, is those foreign wives would cause Solomon to, to turn to idols. And um, it would be bad for him, and it ruined his spiritual life. And King Solomon, he loved many foreign wives, as we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 11, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Sidonians and the Hittites for the nations of those the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, 
nor shall, um, you, um, nor shall they marry with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And that's exactly what happened. And so what we see here is an example of the spiritual truth why Paul, as we covered just a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians, you recall that he said to the Corinthian believers, don't be yoked to unbelievers. The Corinthians had a problem in doing that. The Corinthians, they were coming out of paganism themselves. The city of Corinth was a very pagan city, a very immoral city, and the believers were having a hard time, you know, just uh, as they would be involved with linking themselves or being joined to or being yoked to unbelievers. And Paul says, don't do that. And that's essentially what God was telling the children of Israel when they went into the promised land. He said, listen, don't intermarry with those foreign wives because they're going to lead you astray to those foreign gods that they worship. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon as he married those foreign wives, as he would even build temples to those foreign gods on behalf of his wives, and he would burn incense to those foreign gods. So that was a problem that happened in Solomon's life. And it's interesting because what we're going to read about here in this chapter is that Solomon's going to ask for wisdom. And we're going to learn some very important lessons, what really wisdom is and how it can be worked out in our lives. And so Solomon started out that he had godly wisdom, but it ended up that he didn't always make wise decisions in his life, and it ended up costing his spiritual life to where it, it hurt the nation and hurt his own family. So we read in verse 2, again, let me read it to you. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the uh, name of the Lord until those days. So the people were sacrificing, and they were sacrificing at these high places. Now let me tell you about these high places. These high places were left by the Canaanites when the children of Israel came in with Joshua and they subdued the land and they drove out most of the Canaanites. These high places, these wooden groves uh, that you read about in the Old Testament were places of false worship. They were also places where there was great immorality. And so these high places were left by the Canaanites and God had told the children of Israel, again in the book of Deuteronomy, that when I bring you into the promised land, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, that I'm going to appoint a place where you sacrifice. And so we know that in the book of Leviticus, the sacrifices were given to the children of Israel to be performed by the priests. And there was those sacrifices that were free will sacrifices, such as the peace offering, the burnt offering, that we're going to see that Solomon is going to make here in this chapter. We know that there was the sin offering and the trespass offerings. So the Lord had very much, very carefully prescribed and given those instructions how those sacrifices were to be done. And he also said that there was going to be a prescribed place that the sacrifices would be done. So this was right before they went into the promised land. Now, as they went into the promised land, after the generation of Joshua, then they fell into idolatry, didn't they? That was the beginning of the days of the judges. And according to Stephen's testimony there in Acts chapter 7, he said that the days of the judges lasted 450 years. And we know that during that 450-year period of the history of Israel, the children of Israel would be involved in idol worship and worshiping the Canaanite gods. They would find themselves in bondage to, to, to somebody. They would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would raise up a judge, a ruler, to deliver them, and they would be delivered, and then there would be peace for a short time. They would worship the Lord for a short time, but then fall right back into idol worship once again. So it's this cycle that they were in for 450 years, 
and many times they would go to those high places in those wooden groves and they would sacrifice to those false gods. And so during the time of Saul and during the time of David, many of these high places were left up and they're left up during the time of Solomon. Now what we are going to observe when we continue through 1 Kings, and again, when we go through 1 Kings, we're going to have to put on our thinking caps a little bit because we will see later on that the nation's going to split to the 10 northern tribes up north, the house of Israel, and then the house of Judah. And in the house of Judah, there were some good kings. And some of those kings, even though they followed after the ways of the Lord, they would leave those high places in those wooden images. And it became a problem those wooden groves that the people would go and commit all kinds of immorality when they were involved in false worship. And the problem was this, it left temptation. It left temptation. And those kings should have done away with those high places, should have done away with those wooden groves that immorality was taking place so the temptation wasn't there. So what we can apply tonight is simply this, don't have any high places in your life where there is temptation there, where we can be drawn into sin, or that which is false. Make sure that you get rid of those things out of your heart, out of your lives. And so here is Solomon. He's, the people are sacrificing in the high places, and, and apparently the Lord was allowing this at this time um, as long as they were sacrificing to the Lord because there was not that appointed place. There was no house of the Lord that we read. Solomon here is now going to build the temple, isn't he? He's going to build the temple, and that's where the sacrifices are going to be done. You recall at the end of 2 Samuel, chapter 24, that David, as there was a plague that was going through the, the land, that he would uh, buy the threshing floor of Arena, and Arena was a Jebusite, and David bought that threshing floor. It was on Mount Moriah, and he sacrificed, and the Lord accepted it. So David knew, and Solomon knew, that that's where the place was going to be where the temple was going to be built. And so here they are sacrificing also, as we read in verse 3, that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For what was the great high place, Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. And so here is uh, Solomon. He goes to Gibeon, and that's where the tabernacle was. For a long time after the children of Israel came into the promised land, the tabernacle was at that place of Shiloh that you recall, but now it's at Gibeon, just north of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant, you recall, that David brought to Jerusalem. David desired to establish Jerusalem as the center of worship. He has bought the threshing floor where he sacrificed. That's where the temple is going to be built. But we know that David was told, David, you're not going to build the temple. David desired to build the Lord a house. But it was Nathan the prophet that came to David and said, David, you're not going to build a house. You're a man of war. You have blood on your hands. It's going to be your son Solomon who's going to build the temple, a man of peace. And so Solomon here is going to build the temple shortly. So he's at Gibeon where the tabernacle is. That was that structure, that, that, that temporary uh, tabernacle that was with the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering now has been placed in Gibeon, and so he's sacrificing there. And verse 5, and at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, ask, what shall I give you? He said, Solomon, what should I give you? So the question that we can ask ourselves, really, honesty, is what the Lord desires from us here tonight as we present our hearts to him. In the honesty of your heart, 
If the Lord was to ask you what's one thing that you want, how would you answer it? How would you answer it to the Lord tonight? Would you say that I want more prestige, I want more money, I want to be better looking, I want to be more popular, whatever it might be? I mean, if there is one thing that the Lord asks you, that what is it that you want, how would you answer it? And I think about David. David would write in Psalm 27, one thing that I desire of the Lord, that I will seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. David would write that, that incredible psalm that he says, one thing that I desire more than anything else, Lord, is that I might seek after, and that is dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold your beauty. In other words, what David was saying is to be close to you and have fellowship and closeness with you, Lord, to know you. That was one desire of David. And as I think about that, I think really in my heart, what's one desire that, that if the Lord was to ask me, what do you want, what would be my answer? And what my prayer and what my hope for us here at Calvary Chapel, for all of us, is that we would answer, just as David answered, Lord, that one thing that I seek, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in your house all the days of my life. Lord, just to serve you and to know you and to draw close to you, have intimacy and closeness with you. Because, Christian, do you realize that's the most important thing in our lives, is to know him and to love him, and, and to grow in our love for him and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Solomon here, he, he's asked that question, and Solomon gives the answer, and he said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. In verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child, and I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. And therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So Solomon answers, and he first remembers God's mercy to his father David and to him. And mercy, of course, means not getting what we deserve. And Solomon recognizes God's great kindness and mercy that he, first of all, had poured out on his father David. And David, as he says, my father walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. And we know that David, as we studied his life in 2 Samuel, David was one that was described in Scripture as having a heart after God, and he did. But David also sinned. And sometimes people will read this verse here in the they'll say in verse 6, what do you mean David walked in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart? He committed adultery. He committed murder. I mean, he sinned terribly. He failed terribly. But you see, David had a heart after God, and we're going to see that the other kings are compared to David, that David walked in truth. He walked in uprightness of heart because one thing that David never did do is he never bowed the knee to an idol. He had a heart after God, and when he sinned, he would confess it and he would repent. And we see that as he would confess that sin with his uh, Bathsheba and then also having her husband put to death. We know that David would write that psalm that we have in the scriptures and the book of Psalms, Psalm 51, as he just pours out his heart to the Lord and he confesses his sin. And the Lord forgave him. But David, even though he sinned, he was forgiven. 
and he had a heart for God, and he loved the Lord, and he never bowed the knee to an idol. And so that's what Solomon is referring to, and you've continued his great kindness to him as now I sit on the throne, and here we see that Solomon says, I'm but a child. I don't know my coming in or my coming out. This is a great people. This is a great nation. And what Solomon is doing at this time is he's coming in humility and he's saying, Lord, this is way above me that I need you, Lord. I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. And how true that is for you and for me, isn't it? That as we desire to live for the Lord, as we desire to, to lead our families and lead our children and raise them up in the ways of the Lord, as we desire to serve the Lord, we need his help. And we are to come to him with humbleness and, and with a desire to, Lord, know your wisdom and to know your ways. And Lord, I need your help. I know that as a father, as a husband, as a pastor of this church, that, Lord, I need you because this is way above me and your wisdom. And Lord, guide me and direct me. And that's what Solomon is doing. Lord, I don't know my coming in, my going out. I'm but a child. I'm new at this. This is a great nation. I need your wisdom and your direction. And we're going to see the Lord's response to that. Now, Solomon later on would write that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Um, and he would say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. We know in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, that Solomon wrote, For the Lord gives wisdom. So wisdom comes from him. And Colossians, as Paul would write, to the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 2, he tells us that hidden in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want spiritual wisdom and knowledge, it is found in Christ, it is found in the words of Christ, it is found in the word of God. And Paul would say, don't be cheated by philosophy and empty deceit and traditions of men and that which is not according to Christ. And I think that too many Christians today, and I think that there's too many churches today that will adopt the world's philosophies and psychology and, and all of this, and, and we're being cheated when we do that, and we're not looking to the Lord for spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge that is found in Christ and found in the Word of God. The Word of God addresses every area of our lives. So here's Solomon saying, Lord, I need your wisdom that I might know your ways and walk in your ways which are good, to know your mercy and your kindness. And we know that, that it is found in Christ. We know that it is found in the word of God as we go to him. And if we are turning to the world's philosophy and the world's ways, folks, you're going to be cheated in your life. And you're going to be cheated that abundant life that the Lord has for you. And so we are to look to the word of God. We are to look to his word and what he has to say about every area of our lives and stand on his promises and stand on his word. And then you see wisdom being worked out in our lives as we surrender to him completely. There is godly wisdom and there is worldly wisdom. And if you turn to the worldly wisdom, you're going to be cheated of your joy and your peace and ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. And here in verse 9, notice that, that he says, he understands that I need your wisdom that to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. You're not going to be able to discern between good and evil what is holy, what is unholy, what is clean, what is unclean. 
unless you have God's word in your heart, unless you know the word of God and you know God's wisdom. And so we see the response here of the Lord in verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. I have that underlined in verse 10. Notice that it pleased God that Solomon asked for this wisdom, and it pleases God when you ask for wisdom. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give it to you, and you ask in faith. Do you realize tonight that God desires to give you wisdom? And wisdom comes as you know his ways, as you know his word, as you trust in him, as you listen to the still small voice of the Lord. It pleases God when we come to him and say, Lord, I want your wisdom. And he desires to give you wisdom in the decisions that you're making and how to live for him, how to please him, how to serve him. How, how to raise your children, how to do your ministry, whatever area of your life, the Lord is the source of wisdom for you. And Solomon's going to be given great wisdom, and we're going to also see as we continue in verse 11, and God said to him, because you have asked this thing, have not asked long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. Verse 13, and I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So here we know that Solomon is not only going to receive this great wisdom, we're going to see a demonstration of that wisdom displayed here in just a few moments, in a few verses, but also he's given great riches as well in his kingdom. And notice that in verse 14 that wisdom is just not knowing his ways, but walking in his ways. If you walk in my ways, listen, this is a real key. This is important for us to understand. You see, it's not just knowing the Word of God, but having the Word of God worked out in your life. I have known individuals that they knew the Bible, that they knew the Bible frontwards and backwards, but they did not apply it in their lives. And we see that Solomon, we've already talked about one area of his life that he did not use godly wisdom, and that was marrying foreign wives. And it would bring disaster upon the nation and his spiritual life. And you see, as we go through God's word, I pray that we would never come to the mindset in the heart of, well, here's a little command, a command that was given there in Deuteronomy chapter 17, that the king shall not multiply wives, the king shall not multiply gold, the king shall not multiply horses. What we're going to see in the next chapter is that Solomon multiplied horses. You can go to Israel today and you can go to some of the stables, the excavations, where he had like 500 horses in one stable and he had these stables all over Israel. It would be like having a warehouse full of luxury cars. And Solomon was told and all the kings that they were not to multiply wives, horses, and gold. And Solomon multiplied all three of those areas and it ended up affecting his spiritual life. And you see, I pray that we would never come to the point of, oh, here's a little command that the Lord has given to me. I don't need to apply that to my life. 
And the reason that the Lord tells us to stay away from certain things is because he loves us and he wants us to experience that abundant life. He wants us to have that joy and that peace. He wants us to be strong in him. He wants us to walk wisely as we walk in his ways. So don't ignore those areas you know, that, that you read and you say, ah, oh, that's not important. It's okay. I can just sweep it under the rug or not pay any attention to that command or that principle or that truth. But Lord, as I grow in truth, as I grow in your principles and in your commandments, help me to follow after your ways and not to ignore those ways. Because the Lord loves us and he wants what's best for us. And he wants to protect us. And he wants us to do well. And he wants us to experience his blessings and his joy that he has for us. So it's not just knowing the word of God, it's applying it in your life. And so Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. And so here we see um, that Solomon he would offer these burnt offerings. Again, the burnt offering was where the animal was completely consumed on the altar, and it was an offering of worship uh, that it symbolized that that worshiper who brought that offering, that it would uh, symbolize that he desired to consecrate himself, give himself fully to the Lord as that animal was completely consumed. You and I are called in Romans chapter 12 to what? Be a living sacrifice. Give all of your heart and soul and mind to the Lord. Don't hold back from him. He wants to bless you. He desires the best for you. Be a living sacrifice for him in every area of your life, in your devotion to him, and in your worship of him, in your giving to him. Just be a living sacrifice. And then the, the peace offerings was a fellowship offering that was a free will offering, and the Lord desires to have fellowship with us. In verse 16, now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman, and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. And then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night, verse 20 tells us, she continues the story and says, took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. In verse 22, then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and a dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, The one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. So we see an example, again, of Solomon's wisdom displayed as two women will claim to, to have the living child as their own. They are both harlots living in the same house, and uh, they have uh, both sons about the same time, three days apart. And one of those ladies rolls over and smothers her son. And when she discovers that her son is dead, she takes him, goes over to the other woman where she is sleeping, takes 
her live son and puts her dead son with her and, and, and switches them. So they come. This first woman is saying, that's what happened. She took my son. She, you know, her son is dead. And the other one said, no, it's, it's the other way around. It's my son that is alive. She's trying to take him. And so there's no DNA testing in those days. There's no witnesses. They're both harlots, so there's no father that is present or involved in this. And so Solomon has a very complicated and very tricky situation, doesn't he? How is it that he's going to rule on this? Well, we see in verse 24, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. Listen, this is important. When you yourself in your life are facing difficult circumstances or situations or facing difficult questions in your life, or when somebody comes to you and desires to hear from you and the difficulties or the challenges that they're facing or they had a difficult you know, question that they think, what is, what is it that I do? You bring out the sword. You bring out the sword. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Jeff? Well, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. You bring out the sword. You bring out the word of God to give to people. Paul the apostle, as he is writing and saying to the Ephesian believers, put on the whole armor of God and make sure that you have the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. And as people are coming and asking you and, and seeking counsel from you, that you make sure that you bring the word of God to them and that's where you're going to be effective in ministering to others. You see, they don't necessarily need your opinions. You can give it. They don't need to, to hear, you know, the world's philosophy. If you're going to be effective in ministering to them, then bring them the Word of God. And you cannot bring them the Word of God unless you know the Word of God. That you can minister to them. And that's the wonderful thing about as you grow in the Word of God, as you guys keep coming out on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and your own devotions, as you're growing in the Word of God, you're going to be able to answer people that have real questions and are facing real challenges. Here was a challenge for Solomon, and he's displaying godly wisdom, and you're able to give that godly wisdom to others as well. As you pull out the sword, the Word of God to give to them, and that's where we're truly helping people. We're being effective in ministering to them when we give them truth. And that's what people need to hear and that's what the world needs to hear is the truth of God's word for their situation. In verse 25, and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Now, I don't think that Solomon has any intention to cut this child in half at all. But he knows there's going to be a reaction, and the reaction is this, verse 26. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him, and she is the mother. And all of Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered, for they feared the king, for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So we see here that as Solomon says, cut the child in half, it was the first woman out of love, the first mother that, that spoke up here that came to Solomon, love for her child. She did not want him to be put to death, and her love is rewarded. And people marveled at Solomon, and they feared God when they heard his wisdom. It reminds me of 
Jesus. You remember Jesus in the gospel narratives that the religious leaders would come to Jesus and the religious leaders would come and they would try to trap Jesus and ask him difficult questions and back him into a corner. And Jesus oftentimes, how did he respond? He said, have you not read, right? Have you not read? Don't you know what the scriptures say or what the scripture declares? So oftentimes he would take them back to the scriptures, but also he would use great wisdom. Of course, he was using godly wisdom and the people would hear his answer and they would marvel at him. The people marveled at the words of Jesus. The religious leaders at one time had sent the temple soldiers to go and arrest Jesus. And they came back to the religious leaders and they said, where is him? You know, why didn't you bring him? Bound them up. Bring him to us. And they said, never before as a man speaks like this man speaks. The wisdom, the truth that he spoke, the grace that he spoke with. Listen, as you know God's word and God's wisdom is being worked out in your life because you know how you become a witness. It's not just with the words that you speak, but how you live your life as well. And as you are living your life in godly wisdom and walking in the ways of the Lord, people, some people particularly, are going to take note of it. And in their hour of need and in their hour of confusion and in their hour of trouble, guess who they're going to come to? Oftentimes they will come to you because they know that there's something different about you, and that is you have the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in your life. They notice and they sense that, that the Lord is living in you and that you're different than what everybody else has to say and, and how they live, and you have you know, godly wisdom, and they will come and they will seek you out. Not everybody, but some will. And you have opportunity to then be able to give them God's word and just counsel with them and give them godly wisdom. And oftentimes, they will be so blessed by that and they'll be touched deeply by it. Are you ready to give that to people? Continue to grow in God's word. And I re really believe that in these last days, in the days that we are living in, that people are looking for truth. Because of the craziness of the world and all the voices that are out there, there's a lot of confusion. But you are able to bring that peace and wisdom and be able to bring truth to their situation. They will come to you. And they will begin to ask you things. And they will begin to ask you, you know, about what do you believe and what do you think about this? Give them the Word of God. Give them God's wisdom. And in your own life, make sure that God's wisdom is being worked out in your life, that they may see it and there's something different about you, that you truly have the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord, and there's peace in your home, there's peace in your heart, and that you are blessed because you are walking in godly wisdom. Have it applied in your life, it's not just knowing it, but having it worked out, and then others are going to see it as you are a light to others, and they're going to come to the light as they find themselves in the darkness. I hope that we are ready to do that. And every day, Lord, as I leave this house or I go about my day, help me to be ready to not only walk in wisdom, Lord, and walk in your ways, but, Lord, to be able to help others to do that as well. As I'm going to take my sword with me that's in my heart, the word of God, I'm going to give it to others. Well, chapter 4, I think we'll stop there, all right? Father, we do thank you for this chapter and lord i thank you that we had an opportunity just to 
talk about godly wisdom and how you desire to give us godly wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, just to have a reverence for you and an awe for you. And Father, I pray that all of us in this room that we have in that fear of the Lord just come and submitted our lives to you. Jesus would say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And the first and most important thing concerning wisdom is to realize that Jesus Christ is our salvation. That come to him, surrender your heart to him. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here in the sanctuary or anybody out in the coffee shop, that if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, that we want to give you opportunity tonight, just as we do at every service, for you to come to salvation, for you to, to have your sins forgiven and to come into right relationship with the Father. And the truth of God's word is, is that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal life. He is our salvation. It is found in no one else or nothing else. You can't save yourself. Jesus Christ alone died for your sins on Calvary's cross, and he alone rose from the grave as he validated what he did for you, and he conquered death, he conquered sin from rising from the grave, and he's alive. And he says, come to me. He says, come to me and drink of the waters freely, the living waters that he has to give to you. And if you're here tonight, you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he wants to save you. He is your salvation, and the scripture says today is the day of salvation. And as he knocks on the door of your heart, I pray that you would be wise and open up your heart to him and let him come in and sup with you, fellowship with you, to save you and forgive you. Because, you see, Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship with the true and the living God. If there's anyone here tonight that you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, if your life was the end and you don't know where you're going, you can have assurance tonight. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And he promises to bring you home as you surrender your life to him. All of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. But eternal life is the free gift that comes through Jesus Christ, as the book of Romans declares. Open your heart to him. You pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me on Calvary's cross. I am a sinner, and I confess it. And I come to you, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. And Lord, be my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Help me to surrender to you all the days of my life, a life that is pleasing, a life that is desiring to know you more and to live for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me and the promise of salvation. Thank you for knocking on the door of my heart. I open it up now to you. In Jesus' name. I just want to ask, Take just one minute. If there's anyone that prayed that prayer here today, tonight, will you raise your hand? Just raise your hand so we can pray for you. Anybody at this service at all? Again, we just want to give opportunity. Anybody at all? If you're out in a coffee shop, raise your hand as well. We've got elders out there to minister to you and to bless you. And we just want to pray for you. Anybody at all here tonight at this service? Okay. 
Lord, I just pray right now while we just got a minute and our heads are bowed right now and we're focused on you, that, Lord, we ask for your wisdom tonight. And, Lord, to be worked out in every area of our lives. And, Lord, that we wouldn't ignore any of the truths that we know or commandments you've given to us or principles we know to be true from your word. But, Lord, may they be worked out in our lives. And, Lord, we are so thankful for your mercy and your kindness, that you're there in our times of struggles, in our times of doubt, in our times of fear. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us in our lives. And I pray that we would be a light to others as we go out of this place. I, I pray for a weekend coming up, this time of the year where uh, we got summer beginning, school ending, um, all kinds of things that are going on. But, Lord, we desire more than anything is what David would pray, that one thing I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold his beauty. And, Lord, that we would know you and love you, continue to grow in our love for you and knowledge of you. That, Lord, that you would just um, fill us with your spirit right now because we know that we can't do anything unless you are there working in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit enabling us to live a life for you, Lord, and to give us that wisdom that we need in decisions that we make in every area of our lives, Lord. So, Lord, fill us to overflowing and fill us with your love. May everyone that leaves this place just sense your presence. Lord, give peace to those who perhaps are maybe in a little bit of, of unsettledness or anxiousness. Lord, I pray you give joy to those who feel dry or maybe just, Lord, just feeling burdened or down. I pray that you give strength to those who are feeling weak. And Lord, provision to those who have need. That we may sense your love and your presence in a very real way. And Lord, so we thank you for this night tonight and touching our hearts. Take us all home safely. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?